And welcome back to Beyond All My Expectations. It's Nikki and today I'm here with JJ Bola, who's a poet and a writer. Hi, JJ. Hi, Nikki. How you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, how's uh, lockdown treating you? I think this is like lockdown number 10. <laughs> lockdown infinitum. <laughs> I don't know. I've just, it's Groundhog Day, isn't it? But just happy to be alive and yeah, grateful for a lot of things. Yeah, I'm going I, I wish to be grateful for a vaccine but they seem to just be skipping me over <laughs> yeah I got my vaccine re-up the other day so I'm doubled up I'm good I'm good to go back out there in a world that I don't want to go back out into <laughs> so yeah okay JJ you want me to cry <laughs> <laughs> because so many people I know are like oh my god I got my second dose and I'm like I've gotten zero I've gotten not a drop like I yeah. would I would shot it right now if I could just <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's really sad I'm very jealous of people with vaccines right now it's very um this is where life has reduced me to um <laughs> I'm hopeful so that I can go visit my friends who had babies because yeah. and it's really it's really it's actually hurting my heart more than anything just being like I can come see you but I'm not gonna put your little tiny baby at risk so yeah I had to cancel plans this weekend just for that reason so um oh, uh, yeah. yeah but I'm hoping yeah. you know hoping and praying that by the end of the month, I will be halfway to uh, being mm-hmm. less, I guess, susceptible to this thing. But great. So glad to have you on. Yeah, just good to check in on you. I see so much going on for you on Twitter, Insta, JJ. JJ's um, Twitter activity is fun to follow if you're on Twitter when you, when, when you show up because you do dip and then you come back. Yeah. Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's uh, I'm always trying to escape social media, but then I realise, oh, I remember that I'm supposed to be a writer and, and share stuff. <laughs> supposed to be a writer, he says, on like book number four or five. I feel like we've gone past the supposed to and the we are doing this actively and well. Yeah, exactly. With intention. With intention. Yeah. Okay. So I think that brings us to the point where I'm going to ask you to just introduce yourself um, and just tell us who JJ is as a writer, a poet, and an educator. Just tell us everything. Over to you. Yeah. Gosh, self introduction, quite painstaking. But yeah, JJ Burla, writer and poet. I work in mental health as well. And I'm a, a fan of carrot cake and I love basketball. And I think that Bane from The Dark Knight Rises is one of the best kind of characters ever written in any piece of fiction or whatever. So, yeah, <laughs> that was pretty much me. Hi, JJ. Actually, I had carrot cake today and I, if I just felt like I was going to be speaking to JJ today. And I woke up this morning and went, I just really want a carrot cake. So I took an early morning walk to get a coffee and carrot uh-huh. cake. And I felt like your energy was, you know, it was moving in the space. I feel like this is where the next sentence would be. And guess what? You know, you got your carrot cake delivered to your door as a surprise. And I'll be like, oh my gosh. But is that is that not what's happening? If I popped up and just like knew your address and sent you a cake, I think you'd be a bit more concerned. Actually, no, that's a lie. I do have your address, but for other reasons. And this is going yeah, to sound no, very dodgy. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's like, as an author now, especially like you, you get sent books by the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. Like I get random books with people I've never like communicated with. Yeah. And so part of me is just like, well yeah this is just it people just know where I live yeah it's it's a fascinating one I think especially because I think in the past you get things sent to like an office or something and now I'm just like yeah here's my address here you go and I'm like "Mm." 
this does not feel as safe as it should be because I don't know who's on the other end of this request. We're just living on a prayer, really, at this point. Um, <laughs> so no one come to my house. <laughs> yeah, like, you put on flowers, like, do you know what I mean? Why are you just saying, I feel like sending just the book isn't enough, like, do you know what I mean? Send some send some groceries and some toiletries like do you know what i mean i could how do you know someone's not out of toilet roll like send send that <laughs> wouldn't you know? that be i think that'd be really cute i think that'd over lockdown I, i've sent a lot of food over lockdown to friends you know just a surprise donut surprise cookies but actually you know what surprise loo roll sounds absolutely amazing because Mate, surprise loo rolls air freshener and bin bags literally i will fall on the floor with excitement Honestly, you know what? I'm going to start doing that to people, especially friends who have just moved houses. Just be like, mm-hmm. here you go. Here is a box of cleaning stuff and some new roll. Um, cleaning supplies. <laughs> oh, what? Yeah, that's a friend for life. This is the second stage of adulthood, guys, where these are the things that excite you. But actually, that does sound amazing because I feel like you're just always close to the end of those things. And when you are you living alone now? or? yeah okay but I feel like when you move out of like the family home you're just like oh god yeah these are things I've never really thought about that I need yeah and you have and and like just how how so much of adulthood is just like a continual top-up right it's like constantly making sure that the well is never completely empty do you know what I mean you have to always make sure that you just have enough food right that you know do you have enough cleaning supplies enough toiletries just enough of everything just to get you to tomorrow or the next week yeah. or the next week, you know and it's just 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 constantly that's your responsibility like I know I had this thought this morning as I was you know doing skincare and I because I did spend quite a bit like the month before and I was like what do you even have to spend this again because I bought this to fix my life, just all of it. And you just mean I had mm-hmm. to keep doing this spend. And it was it was a very like trivial thing because I think I was prepping to just start my day. And I was like, now I ha- when I finish all of this, like all the meetings and everything scheduled, I have to be like, okay, so life admin for your actual personal. And I mean, that then included like food. And I was like, what does the house as a whole need? But it just started me yeah. being like, I'm almost out of some skincare stuff. And I was like, oh my God, um, I have to spend right. money. And um, honestly, if I like... It, so I've so what I do is I have like a wish list I won't say of which companies or whatever no endorsements you know what I mean like but like I, of what I need that could just slightly improve you know yeah. my quality of life and I'm like if I was to just buy it all at once and have it all I would still need something else like do you know what I mean and like I'm just like it's a never-ending cycle and you know what like for so for instance yeah the other day I bought a, a water filter like it was Ooh. quite a revelation. Some people were like, yeah, I've had one for ages. Some people were like, oh, that's bougie, a water filter. Like, who is the calm? Filter your water. And I was like, no, it's actually been amazing. And and I was just like, oh, you know what? Can't just have a water filter. Now I've got to buy the glass bottles to keep the water in, right? Yeah. Like, so that if I want colder water, whatever, whatever. So I'm like, okay, cool. So now I need those. Oh, but then I want new glasses to go. I want the glasses that go with that glass bottle in case I have to serve people, blah, blah. Like, and it's just like, it hmm. spirals. It, it just spirals. It really does. Like similar. We're just like doing some, we're like, okay, we're going to do up a few rooms like in the house and just like spruce things up. Like, 
you know, change. I mean, what is quite major is like, oh, how long has this bed been in the house? Give it a change. And then it's like, mm-hmm. you're like, okay, but if I fix one and two, wouldn't it just be nice to do three? And then you're like, eh, yeah, but if I do, and I'm just like, the way the budget's set up, like, it'd be nice <laughs> to do everything because you're like, I noticed one thing, you're like, yeah, but then if we tweak that, it then matches that. And you're like, oh, what if we change the color scheme here? And you're just like, look, life, no. Yeah. Um, it's just so, going to have to make things work. But, you know, Chester being able to think ahead and want yeah. things and think that you can get them that getting them is possible because there was a time where you're like I want that and your brain need to be like can you stop thinking please <laughs> <laughs> your brain's like I feel like thoughts for the day okay let's 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 tap out now please let's actually jump into conversation so I want to start with your work in mental health because we're obviously going to go into the writing side but I feel like we don't I don't hear too much about what you do on the mental health side and I know that that's probably private JJ versus public Twitter JJ um, but can you just um, talk about something or can you talk a bit there we asked what I was looking for about your work in the mental health space what was your draw to to give this space and how do you exist in this space professionally? so yeah professionally I work as part of a mental health team as a mental health social worker so we're working with people in a community who live with a range of usually serious mental illnesses. Yeah, it could be from like bipolar disorder, schizophrenia and so forth. Yeah. And so, yeah, my capacity in that is just kind of like supporting them with various issues, whether it's like social inclusion or medication, kind of therapeutic interventions. So, yeah, that's kind of like my day job. I've always been passionate about mental health. My degree, my undergraduate degree, when I was but a you know, fresh-faced teenager that was in psychology and I've always kind of like done, I've worked largely in education and youth work, but I've always kind of been passionate about mental health and worked in or, or volunteered in one capacity or another. And I think, yeah, like what the work I do now is just kind of like a continuation of things that I've been interested in, in and passionate about. Yeah, because I always think that's so interesting that, you know, you are you know, to all intents and purposes, people see as the poet and the author, but there's this other side of you that's doing this really necessary and grounding work of working you know, with mm-hmm. people that see and experience society so differently from what people assume the normative is in these conversations. Because I think, I mean, in part, it's just, you know, this is important work, but it also means you're having conversations mm-hmm. with other experiences of the world that are just, I guess, layered and more nuanced. And it, it comes out, I think, in how you express yourself in your work but also mm-hmm. just in the everyday engagement I, I mean like obviously it's easier to share the writing stuff and I've always kind yeah. of got this experience with sharing my professional kind of life I guess because a part of it is that yeah just not everything has to be online and I and because of just kind of like things as you know privacy and so forth confidentiality etc it's just not really necessary so I'd rather talk about the issues rather than talking about specifically but at the same time I think what's really interesting about not just the fact that conversations around mental health are growing but it's what kind of conversations we're having and about which mental health issues so you know general kind of like issues that was like anxiety or generalized anxiety or depression you know a bit more comfortable to talk about because it's memeified if you will like you know so it's, it's presented a way that's like overly simplistic easily digested make so a fun people, tiktok yeah make a fun tiktok i remember it was like oh my 
so the, the people were doing videos where it's like you know where there's like three versions of, of themselves and it's like financial depression lockdown depression and career depression on a link up on a night out when we when lockdown's over like that kind of stuff do you know what i mean and it's like well yeah it's when it really comes funny to, and really dark at the same time I'm not gonna lie. yeah i yeah. laugh like wow okay it's funny but it's also really dark but then like you know when it comes to other illnesses like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder and you know kind of those those more kind of complex well they're all as complex as the other but thing there's less spoken about kind of becomes harder to discuss because the reality of how someone lives it is so different but yeah I, th- I still think it's important you know so just kind of doing what we can yeah very much so and I think I wanted to talk about like just talk about this space because I feel like particularly you know in the way that you work there's and you know you, and you've spoken about some things like schizophrenia and things that we don't talk about as publicly it feels like there's such a separation of those worlds versus you know what people want in their everyday world but you're sort of existing like in both worlds as a whole world so how do you I think when you step out of work into I guess the accepted public space what do you ever feel like there's this sort of dichotomy of self or do you, or you, do you just do you just bring your whole self into both spaces and just exist like that? The way that I see it is like there's one world, but there's seven billion realities. Okay. Like I've never met someone, or think of like the closest person that you have in your life, mm-hmm. right? And how even they don't see reality in the same way that you see it. Yeah. No matter how close someone else's experience might be to yours or someone else's identity might be to yours their realities you still won't see it the same like you whoever might be similar to you in every way you could experience the exact same kind of event with someone and then come up with two totally different interpretations so it's like the way i see it is like what what i tend to do is i never in truth like i i try to be as authentic as possible but I never bring my full self like to anywhere all at once. I just don't think that's really possible, but I also don't think that's healthy. Like I think, you know, what I try to do the way that I navigate it. And, you know, I'm not saying this is like mandatory for everyone, but I think just finding what works for you. And I think I found what works for what works for me. And it's that I kind of bring about 80% of myself to any situation or mm-hmm. anything like that, wherever I go, especially the whole kind of like career stuff and writing stuff and the creative and stuff. But I always try to keep like a 20% that's the core for me, for myself, mm-hmm. that make sure that it's nourished, nourished, that remains, you know, motivated, fulfilled, fed, etc. So in case I have to give away, in case that 80% gets given or taken away, yeah. I still have the core of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of like generally how I approach things, I guess. Oh, okay. So that answer is really interesting because when I look at, I'm going to do a shift into the, I'm 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 separating you and I'm doing this naming for you, which is terrible. It's like the the professional private JJ and the professional public JJ. Which yeah. Is, yeah, those two styles. So professional public is the poet, the writer who has to be on stage and has to do this um, have this conversation it has to be on twitter and those things and and when i think of the yeah professional public jj and i mean like looking at your work your work is very much tied to like your experience and your identity and yourself and it feels 
like reading it, it feels like you bring your whole self to it. And I say this because, so I remember reading JJ's collection of poetry, She's a Refuge, and I just thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to be friends with this person. So I basically stalked JJ. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I remember meeting JJ and being like, this, the person on paper feels connected to the person in person. And there just feels like this authenticity of like, oh, yeah, this feels like, you know, a, uh, a connected sort of production of work. And I saw that replicated in No Place to Call Home. And I saw that replicated mm-hmm. in Mask Off. And it always it all feels very connected and it feels cohesive. Mm-hmm. So let's just talk about the writing stuff because you are telling your experiences. So how do you, I guess, relegate the 20% or whatever you're keeping for yourself intact while giving what it feels like so much of your experience and your story in these pieces? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a great question. So what I would say is that when I'm in the process of like creating, whether I'm writing a poem, uh, whether it's mask off or any novels, anything like that, like I always try to bring my, there there isn't that same kind of 80, 20% thing. Um, Always bringing my full self to to be as creatively like authentic as I can be. But I, I think what, like if the the professional kind of private and the professional public, if that Venn diagram was to kind of be drawn up, it would probably be about 80, 20. And I say that not to say that like I'm hiding 20% of myself or anything like that, or like yeah. I'm not being genuine or authentic. For me, it's just, you know, and I realized this a lot, perhaps later than I would have liked to, but I didn't realize I was an introvert until like way later. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And so I realized that, like, I, you know, I grew up part of a big family. If you didn't speak, you, you weren't heard. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and then constantly having to kind of fight my way through the world and, 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 and you know, try to get opportunities or, you know, kind of like access to things or find myself, et cetera. All of these things required or necessitated like extroverted qualities, networking, for example, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And those things weren't, and I always found myself really kind of like awkward in those situations or really uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but I didn't know, I didn't realize those were the kind of like thin lines between extroversion and introversion and so forth. Yeah. And, and when I found myself in certain spaces and I was just like, I would, you know, I felt myself always retreating. I was like, what was that? And it was actually just me trying to preserve the core of myself. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what I'm trying to do. Like, so in any situation where I write or I try to live fully in the moment and be present and exist, but I always feel like there's that kind of core of you that's the seed. If this flower in your field didn't blossom fully, you'd always have another seed to replant. Yeah. Like you don't want to completely lose all your seeds and then you've got nothing to regrow from. Yeah, so I just kind of see it as a process like that more than anything. Yeah, I think I do get that with the, I think I realised, yeah, much later that I was actually an introvert or maybe I just don't like people, but that's up for debate when, depending on <laughs> who you ask. But I think if I, when I choose to be somewhere, I can be very present, but I, mm-hmm. I'm very, very conscious of where I choose, when I choose to be present. So I do this thing where like my best friend literally plans her life and I go, what mm-hmm. are you doing? and then I pick like two things I go I'm coming along to those things and that's my social life (laughs) which is uh, which is very handy (laughs) but I think it's very interesting because you can have those where you're like okay I'm choosing to be present here and then I I can make decisions about what I bring into that space and how I show up in that space and hopefully when I leave I don't feel like depleted or I don't feel you know like I've just over 
poured out myself and it's very hard work but then I think you know we're talking about the physical space but I think when you're on paper when you're alone with yourself and doing the writing mm-hmm. how, how at what point is in the editing that you're making the decisions of what to pull back and what to keep on paper are you th- ever thinking consciously about this sort of like oh okay I'm maybe oversharing here or yeah more natural but- so like I've heard this said by many authors where it's like fiction is where an author goes to lie right so Mm -hmm. it's like you kind of present a version like for me it's telling the story but not being the story okay right and so when I write I try to be as truthful to the story as possible to the characters and what happened to the characters I know that's not my life because I'm not writing a memoir or autobiography or an autobiography biography if I can say the word god damn it (laughs) listen my brain but I know that if I remain true enough to the characters and the story everything else will feel will give the feeling of what it needs to be what needs to be felt by the reader you know so yeah I think sometimes like it's it's really interesting especially like the past few years when I'm thinking about fiction particularly if you're writing from a kind of underrepresented group and how just the experience of traumatic experiences or systematic injustice or trauma generally has has kind of been used unfortunately as a selling point mm-hmm. um, rather than like the human being right yeah. like I often think about how we're just expected that we should have a connection with that yeah. right just because someone has experienced xyz right that that we should automatically empathize but actually we don't empathize with like the political reality we we empathize with the human reality of the situation and politics is what comes is is secondary but it's like if i connect with this person if i can connect with this person with these characters and stories as human beings then actually i can see myself in um this reality and what they're going through and so yeah that's my like i think that's my main focus whether it's in the work that I'm writing or just in the life of I'm living like it's like you know these connections and so it's like whether I'm like I think especially now really looking at like social media and how social media ranks our connections by numbers right that if you have more followers or more likes or blah 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 that you're a more connected person and therefore yeah. more of value and so forth and then but there's nothing really that teaches us about the strength of these connections Mm-hmm. like would you rather be would you rather be a connected to a hundred people but the strength of your those connections is only 10 percent yeah. right or two people but the strength of those connections are only 50 percent do you know what i mean and yeah. it's like who's going to do more for you who's really going to be there at times where you need them the most who knows you who would know you the most yeah. you know yeah so i think for me it's like you know what it doesn't matter if it's one or two people, but just it's the strength of those connections that really, really matter like, for me. Wow, okay. I was like, it's getting so deep. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't gonna lie, but I didn't even know I was going there. But I was like, ooh, this is kind of Sometimes it's like, sometimes it feels like it's not even me talking, but, but yeah. <laughs> I have no response to this, JJ. I'm just asking <laughs> the questions, okay? I'm trying to put interesting bites here. Okay, I want to, because I feel like we've jumped into like the essence of the writing and I want to do sort of like a, you know, a wheel back just for anyone listening who doesn't really know, you know, JJ's journey. And I know I've mentioned all his books. Yes, I do own all of them. And 
I need Shout I expect I expect an early copy of uh, the next. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Um, I love that I do, I just use blackmail authors for early um releases <laughs> of their books, but it's fine, guys. Okay, look, it works out for me. Do not try this at <laughs> home. But uh, yeah, I want to go back and uh, just talk through your career as a writer because you've spoken about your connection to the mental health industry and how you started with a psychology degree and moved in there. I want to ask you about. I didn't want to ask you where you knew you were going to be a writer. That's I feel like that's a very it's a very vague open question. But can you go back, can you think back to like the first piece you wrote that you were like, okay, I can, I, I'm doing this and there is spark here for something more. So, because I think you start writing and then you start writing and it's like, you don't think about it. And then there's one point where you go, actually, I'm connected to this enough to be like, maybe there is more. Yeah. So can you think yeah. back to what actually connected the dots for you in terms of writing and storytelling? Yeah. So whilst I was doing my undergrad degree, I was just yeah. kind of due to my short attention span or lack of academic aspiration, probably. I was just writing random stuff rather than taking lecture notes. And this then led to me, I guess, writing poems. And the first poem that, the first couple of poems that I remember writing, one of them, I can't remember how it goes really, but it's long gone, but it's quite rhythmical. I remember there being lots of rhyme and stuff and it was almost like a rap type rhyme. But the oh. second one was a spoken word poem and it was a love poem. And I cringe because I never performed this love poem and I never referred to it. And so just thinking back, but I remember like one of my friends saw, cause I used to carry around this kind of like note, notebook and whatever. Mm. And then he read it and then it was suggested that I go to an open mic night. I had no idea what they were like I'd never been to one I'd only seen them in movies and stuff I didn't realize that they actually existed especially here in London there's yeah. a lot of things that we exposed to is like you know the American stuff and what's that movie Love Jones and like, oh yeah the basement of a bar and it's misty there's someone playing some jazz in the background yeah, the like, snaps. yeah. Beat, all of that the snaps and I just like that didn't I never saw myself in that because I was like, well, those are proper poets, you know. Mm. I was just like some regular dude who likes writing. But yeah, I remember I, I went to one of those. I performed, I mean, this is over 10 years ago now. And I performed at the at the open mic night and people was like, oh, I really liked your poem. Oh, 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 okay. Wow, people like this. So then I started going to some other ones with just that one poem. And then, you know, it was at first it was a bit kind of validating to have that connection like it was like oh you got a oh, wow someone likes my yeah. poem oh, it was a really nice but I never considered myself a writer I never aspired to but I was just like you know what someone likes this poem all right cool and then I rinsed that poem for about six months and I was like well this is getting kind of boring <laughs> like, and then it was like oh have you got anything else and I was like not really <laughs> so then I tried to carry on writing and I kind of messed around a little bit and then at some point it became almost like a hobby that I found very fun to escape into, you know, writing, started a little blog, like sharing thoughts and stuff. And what was really nice was it was very kind of self-affirming in the sense that like I found myself getting to know myself better, mm -hmm. a lot deeper. But then I also found a lot of experiences and thoughts that I had that I wasn't the only one, that I felt alienated by, that I wasn't the only one kind of going through them having those thoughts and so that was really like something that's very touching for me yeah I, and I messed around trying to like self-publish a couple of books a couple of poetry books and that was just really like I think archiving is super important yeah. right 
and that's just not as an artist but just as an individual like i think we don't do that enough we it's really interesting because we archive for the public sphere but not enough for the private sphere yeah and so i think what that means is like we're we're more invested in showing other people how we live rather than showing ourselves right mm -hmm. and it's like really important for us to archive our lives so that's what i was really doing with with like the self-published books because i sure as hell didn't make any money from them <laughs> like do you know what i mean maybe even the opposite because yeah. um, and then like yeah and then i remember a point where i was like the first point where i really thought hmm i can actually be a writer was when my now agents pontus emailed me and was like you know we really like your work have you thought about writing a novel and you know I, i've always read novels and love novels and so forth and i thought and that summer i remember that was summer of or early 2016-ish, I think. Okay. Yeah, so that's nearly that five years ago now. And then it was like, yeah, you know, I thought about writing a novel, and I was like, and what was coincidental is like, I've tried writing a novel a few times before and failed miserably. Yeah. And then I decided to give it another go. And we had a bit of a conversation. I was like, well, you know, we haven't got, like we can't sign you off with nothing but you know when you've got a, a, a draft a working draft like yeah and i was like you know what i like a challenge what have i got to lose absolutely nothing like what have i got to gain well let's see so i just went for it just yeah absolutely went for it I quit my job which is a flipping terrible idea <laughs> like and not because i've I, I i wanted to quit for a long time anyway yeah um so i had been like financially preparing myself for that hit and you know saving up and all of that but i i mean like i quit my job but i had to dramatically like reduce everything that i was doing like all my expenditures so yeah. it was like you know i was living uh away from home at the time i had to move back in driving i had to stop driving like all the night like the nights out and the eating out and just the comfortable lifestyle gone 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 gone, gone like had to be real about it so yeah and i didn't mind like because i was spending most of my time in a library or bookshop just writing and i loved it i loved the peace that came with it like do you know what i mean yeah. that was that was worth more than anything i could have earned i was just like wow life is just so quiet and peaceful and i just get to write okay cool um but then obviously financially like, i had to worry about a lot of stuff because i was <laughs> i was not making money it's not making money <laughs> let me be very clear <laughs> but you know it's not about how much money you make it's about how you make it but also the way that it makes you feel right yeah. because you could have you could be as financially secure as you want but if that fulfillment inside isn't there then you're probably going to feel more anxious do you know what i mean and then vice versa you know you could have a very limited amount of resources but actually like that fulfillment is there then you're then you're content like, and i think i really made a conscious choice at that time and i absolutely don't regret it so i rambled for a little while there and i don't know we i mean we got there that's a journey quitting your job <laughs> sorry yeah. Well, you know, I know it's idealized. I I would not recommend anyone to just quit their job to pursue their dreams. It's very much idealized, and it's not even like oh, I quit my job to pursue my dreams. Then I made it big. It's like no, I quit my job because it was a toxic working environment. Yeah. Um, my mental health was at risk of deteriorating. My self-esteem was on the floor. Like I was 
you know, a shadow of myself and barely recognize myself. And I was like, is this the person I want to be for the next 10, 20 years? Like, or is there something more? And I thought, well, no matter how much money I do or don't have, if this is the person and there's nothing more, let me at least check yeah. before I come to this conclusion. And I'm just, yeah, I'm glad I took that risk. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the risk does sometimes pay off. And I, the only time I've quit a job is I came back from holiday and I've been on holiday and I sat down and thought, yeah, I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to do it. But I had the... <laughs> I just, I had the fortune of starting a new job the next day. And oh wow! When yeah. I handed him, I walked in at nine a.m. Handed him my notice, didn't have a job, and the next day I started a new job. So, um, that was one of those life worked out. But mm. I remember walking in and being like, "Nikki, you've just been on holiday, which means you just spent a lot of money." Mm. Um, and I didn't actually plan to. I planned on making it, you know, three more months and then prepping a leaving plan, but. I think I was getting on my flight back and I thought, this cannot be it. So I walked at 9am, we had a chat, I said, I'm going to just type up my notice. And luckily they said, because you handed over before you left, we're happy to let you just have the month off. So I was like, okay, I have a month. I know I'm going to get paid at the end of this month. I'm going to make it work. And the next day I was I was working again. But it does come with some bravery of being like, this is what I need. I was lucky enough to have to find out who I am without money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would have probably just napped a lot in red but there is the other side of like it is hard but I think you also had a challenge of like okay what does JJ look like as someone who's writing a novel and I think it's an interesting distinction between you know JJ the poet who he had put together books and self-published them and we talk about you know the success of these things is you know whether it's sold or not but you've lucky mm-hmm. talked about the archival side of it it's like I'm archiving this but it's you had done the work of putting together collections of poetry and, you know, cohesively putting them together. But why is it that we approach the writing of a novel so differently? And you've had the experience of doing both. So what is it about mm-hmm. the novel that is like, okay, this is, this is a thing. It's the same animal, but a completely different beast. Do you know what I mean? Like, whew, man. And as someone who has reckoned with both, mm-hmm. I think what differentiates the novel from poetry even the longest form of poetry like I don't know I think about like John Keats and Dimian it's a beautiful beautiful poem like you know but it was long but it's like that versus like a novel you know is the differences and just like a novel compared to any other form of art, really, is just how the the longevity and the individuality with which you have to sit through a piece of work is yeah. unparalleled. This is why there's just not really been, you don't really hear about, oh, so-and-so collabing on a novel. No one wants to collaborate for writing a novel because no one wants to even write a novel in the first place. Like, it's not enjoyable. Do you know what I mean? It's an extreme yeah. The reward. I think is what you create and not necessarily in the struggle of the creating it. It's like after you've written, you sit down and you read back and you're like, oh, that was, oh, wow, the reflective of the, wow, this reflection taught me a lot about myself and so forth. But yeah, I think it's just the sitting with it and the constant attention and how, you know, like, so if you're writing a poem, it's like you're in the zone for that poem, right? But then you can abandon the piece of work. But a novel takes so long to write. And if we're talking about just writing, let's say first draft, okay, fine. But then if we're talking about editing, 
Mm-hmm. It took such an incredibly long time that like you have to be in the zone the whole time. And obviously it will fluctuate of how intensely you are in there. But mm-hmm. just, I don't know if like, what else do you have to really think about your favorite thing? Like the whole time. It's like a do it's like doing a three-year degree without any breaks. Mm. You know, it's, it's yeah, it's mad, but it's I don't know, it's slightly masochistic, but I hate it, but I love it. Like I love it. I'll tell a little I'll tell a little side story. I was NBA Basel. There was and and you know, I listened to a lot of these talks and almost like his process and preparation and obsessiveness about the game. And there's one where Dwayne Wade, who's another basketball player, is talking about an issue an incident he had with Kobe. And they played uh, they were set to play each other during the week, but in the weekend before they had the NBA All-Star game, which is yeah. the big players of the best players of the league and Dwayne Wade had a kind of collision with Kobe Bryant and accidentally hit him in the nose which ended up breaking his nose yeah uh, he called him after the game and was like oh Kobe man I just want to apologize obviously checking out see how you are but yeah it was an accident and Kobe goes to him no nah, don't worry I'm good it's fine my nose is broken but I love it I love it <laughs> and he's like I'll see you in a week. And then he scored like 50 points the next game or whatever. Do you know what I mean? But that was his obsession, like almost like masochistic. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily saying that's healthy or endorsing that, but I just find that even if you can just reach 1% of that mindset, yeah. whatever you're approaching, then you'd have achieved a lot. Wow. I think I'm always in awe of authors just because I think you can sit down and do this thing that could take you possibly years and be consistent with it because it has to be every character voice consistent and I do that goes you know back to working with like your editor but then the editing process and because I'm currently on the side where I'm copy editing books and I'm just sat there like this is taking me like 10 hours how have you how have you committed so much of your life to this and just like copy editing is going through basically a book and making sure like the tone of every character is consistent like the way things are described are the same so it's quite Mm -hmm. meticulous work but I think someone had to make this work and create mm. worlds and be consistent with it over time for me to even have to spend this however many hours doing this and I just find it so fascinating and just going back to your story about people collaborating so we working with Cassava Republic we published a non-fiction um, book which is Formation which is a look at the history of Nigeria before it was it became a country through colonialism and after and every time I speak to the authors who worked with it, and they they just they like each other, and I'm like I'm so fascinated by the fact that you sat together and you produced this, and it's quite a it's a substantial book, um, mm. and, I'm like, and they just chatted like oh my god hey hey, and this this is very laid back, and I'm like I love your energy because I feel like if I had to sit down and do this work with someone, I'd like by the end I'd be like I love you, but from a distance. Mm. <laughs> See, this is the thing, and I love that right because. For what's really interesting is for non-fiction pieces of work yeah like you know obviously we see loads of um books where it's like edited by uh, they have like a lead writer and so forth and then loads of essays but a lot of the times you may discuss with each other who's writing what and so forth but then you also just write but you don't really see that for fiction no what i would love to see is all right let's say we get I don't know, 10 writers 
And you know, a fiction book is roughly about 30 chapters anyway, generally yeah. eight thousand words. And say, okay, cool, ten writers. I'm sorry, wait, yeah. can we just pause? You went just generally 80, 80,000 to hundred thousand words. Like <laughs> that's just something someone has at the tip of their tongue. I love it. Okay. <laughs> okay. That was such an author flex, and we just had to take a moment. To get <laughs> <laughs> no, you mean that's not normal? That's not normal. <laughs> <laughs> Writing 100,000 words casually. So say, imagine you had 10 authors, right? Three chapters each and in whatever order. And then so it's like, okay, so the first person who goes first writes the, you all agree on the premise on who's the characters, blah, blah, blah. The first person writes the uh, first three chapters, the next one, almost like a relay race or relay yeah. race. You pass it on, and the next person, the next person has to write, has to write, has to continue until it's, it's complete. What would that look like? Yeah. It's such a blend of styles and storytelling and so forth. Even though it's consistent in terms of like characters, right? And yeah, how do you keep voice? How do you keep well consistent? I wonder also if at the end of that journey, the person who started would want to support where the journey goes. Because exactly. then it's like, do, is this a story I want to have told? Because whether or not I wrote only three chapters, this is still, you know. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's very interesting. I wonder if we should test, like, I feel like there should be a prize that exists. I just test, this, like, just an experiment. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because I think, you know, you have, an, you have anthologies and stuff for one story. And I feel like there was a season where, like, children's and YA novels used to do this a bit, where, like, two or three authors would come together and tell stories and it was very it was speculative fiction I think that was played about with a bit more but I would love to see it done in fiction like a romance mm -hmm. novel that's written by 10 different people yeah. how, chaos, how chaotic would that be <laughs> <laughs> love it love it that needs to happen oh like characters that are married at the start will be divorced by the end you know people yeah. will discover their identities halfway through I actually do want to see that happen would love oh, it oh god can I commission a book <laughs> Someone, give, someone give, give us money let's do something <laughs> oh my god okay where do I want to go with this okay yeah so I want to go back to your the first novel so you you know you write I guess the foundations of your first novel in this time of mm -hmm. just we're going to call it struggle JJ because it is mm -hmm. I feel like what it was in terms of you know mm -hmm. the path you set for yourself was changing drastically mm -hmm. and in this story you approach your you know a story of like migration and what that looked mm -hmm. like, the uncertainty of like stability and I guess recognition in, in your new land. And it's very, it's a very sort of personal story to tell, particularly like mm -hmm. as a young black man, you know, in the UK. And mm -hmm. reading back to like, this is, you know, people talk about immigration, migration, but when you bring in sort of the, people don't talk about it as this sort of human thing. Is this thing that happens to someone? And it's this sort of like, yeah. it's like, yeah, and migrants, you know, and there's no, and you gave name and face to this sort of migrant journey and this identity mm -hmm. and what it means like in the home setting and what it means to bring, you know, a foundational culture into a new culture and so many mm -hmm. dynamics. So why did you choose this as your, you know, your foray into the novel genre? And what did it teach you about who you are as a storyteller? So I wrote, I think the entry, I mean, it's always been something that I've been thinking about for a long time, but the entry point, I wrote a poem called Refuge, yeah. um, which was quite per more personally about my own experience coming with my family as a refugee to the UK. And I remember when I would like read or perform those that poem, even to the people who I thought were politically more informed on a, a higher level, there were so many aspects that surprised them. 
-hmm. and I was like wait what I thought was common knowledge like is actually a lot less known than I realized it's like the seven billion realities isn't it exactly yeah how do you tell just one right and so I was like thinking about how do I tell how do I basically that was the seed how do I pour water on this seed how do I help the seed to grow and I thought and you know there's that saying if you pour water on a poem it becomes a novel so then I was just thinking about it like how what would this poem look like in novel form who would the character be and so forth and so I just fictionalized so much just thought about what I'd seen in my own communities the people who I knew and I know and like yeah the networks that I'm part of that live in this world that this is their normal this is their reality and how do I bring that to a new audience but also not just to a new audience but how do I bring that back to themselves you know and I I remember for instance like I was speaking to so many elders and just asking them questions including my parents and it was really the first time I think it shifted the dynamic like the relationship dynamic that I had with my parents because it was the first time I really sat down and asked them questions right not just in general but actually like quite inquisitively like Mm -hmm. questions like where did you go to primary school what was growing up in your area like Mm -hmm. all of this kind of stuff not questions that related to them being mum and dad but questions that related to them being like the human beings they were before they brought you into the world and like I was like wow there's so much richness here you know and it's like when when I remember my dad when he was reading the novel and just how at each stage of it his reaction would be a little bit different mm. and he's just like wow he never imagined when he came to this country that there would be a book written so closely to his experience but also yeah. never mind even that a book written by his own child like so it's just fascinating you know and I think like I feel very privileged to have been in that position but also I think about how many of our experiences are preserved and need to be preserved and how versus how many of them end up just being lost because we don't think it's worth worthy enough you know yeah yeah and I guess yeah my follow-up question from that is you know how did writing this and being able to produce this piece of work what did it tell you about yourself as a writer mm-hmm. and have you carry that through in the subsequent pieces you produced I think it made me realize that there's more to me than I gave myself credit for mm-hmm. um well and I think it's something I believed for a long time, but it really solidified myself that you should not have to change or change yourself to fit into a place that doesn't, or people who don't welcome you, you know. And and I was just like, wow, I'm incredibly like privileged to have had the experiences that I've had, as difficult as they have been. Like it's given me so much wealth and such a depth of like humanity that I don't know how else. I would have been able to get to like who to be who I am now and I don't mean this in a professional sense but I just mean this on like quite personal. an individual yeah. yeah personal level and I was like wow so if, if this process this creative process allows me to know myself deeper a bit deeper each time then like, I totally welcome it yeah amazing I'm going to do one final question before we move on which is just to touch on what's coming next for you so mm. you have a book coming out next year. Can you just talk a bit about that book, inspirations, and what your hopes are for the book? Yeah. So I was coming out this year, by the way. Actually. <gasps> is it this? What I know, I don't know what time of day it is. Um, the the selfless act of breathing. Yeah, yeah, my second novel is coming out in. Okay, I should know the month. <laughs> in October. I there think. we go. Yes, October, 3rd, November. The selfless act of breathing. 
it's yeah I, yeah I still don't know how to talk about this book yeah I haven't found that like one sentence hit that's like it's about the blah 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 but I think the selfless act of breathing is about a young man who makes an incredibly difficult decision after trying so hard to do the right things in his life but mm -hmm. then feeling increasingly kind of like devastated by what he experiences and what he sees around him which isn't the most kind of traumatic things or the most difficult things but it's a case of more so like the straw that broke the camel's back. back yeah you know what I mean? and it's like if you think about it in like we were almost like talking about before it's like with the weight of everything that we've got to manage and all the things that we've been, we, we have to do and all the things that we've been told is the right thing to do and so forth what is the summation of all of those things like what is the buy-in and why you know so i think it's a story that asks questions a story that explores like himself as a character intrinsically but also relationships but also the world as well and he goes on a bit of a journey and then yeah you get to walk with him on that journey as well so yeah, I've tried to explain this in a way that is interesting, but also doesn't give away the whole story. I think it's, it's so complex, isn't it? But I feel like you, once you do a few um, press rounds, you hopefully will find a way of, yeah. <laughs> of uh, sort of uh, summarising the book. But I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to read it. And just having read, you know, past pieces, I just think, you know, it's always interesting to see a writer grow and um, explore different things, different topics. And particularly because I think you're, work is very focused on telling this you know male narrative but there's sort of this soft approach to the storytelling there's mm -hmm. a, an honesty I think it's you generally touch on things that people don't want or people hide you know people try to fold into a wider narrative that's something that's really interesting about your work JJ which is why it's like mm -hmm. let me have a chat with JJ about you know expectations and this life and the journey of storytelling because I think it's always really fantastic and particularly you know in the UK to read honest writing about the black male experience that's connected to I guess not just the UK because you also connect back to you know your Congolese heritage mm. and what those times are so yeah always mm. very interesting thank you I really appreciate that as I said guys a fan but I want to move on to what I call what's hot in industry and this is where I ask I guess just something related to the industry they exist in and I want to talk particularly about what we are seeing and I think there's an article that came out recently about you know what publishers expect of people working in the industry which is just like publish anything doesn't matter if you agree or not I think mm -hmm. it's part of a conversation about what what it means to exist as a black person within a publishing industry that only sees black stories as you know a money-making um, endeavor mm -hmm. because it's right now xyz is published so we saw a boom of stories about just racism and what mm -hmm. race means over the last two years because you know we saw a lot of protesting a lot of writing a lot of all outs for changing systems so I think yeah I just wanted to ask you how do you reconcile your existence within the industry with your work because you know to be part of the industry and there is a reality and I'm in the industry it's like this is money is meant to be made and we that exists across all industries but mm -hmm. I think there's an eth ethical conversation around who is actually what does my work mean you know to the wider scale of the industry versus what it means to the personal versus what it, what it means to the people I'm telling stories for so how do you reconcile sort of these things? So I think for me, I mean, I quite, I kind of think come from quite a unique position in terms of my writing journey because, you know, coming from kind of like the the open mic kind of scene and, you know, the, yeah, that 
spoken word circuit and the self-publishing mm -hmm. scene as well like I've not really taken the conventional author route and so for me my writing has always been more closely connected or survived on the connect like based on what the connections are with like local people what people have actually enjoyed right and so in terms of what's happening industry on a bigger scale that's not really been my aspiration and I was very lucky to have the agents that I have because when Pontus signed me in 2016 I remember when Pontus signed me in 2016 there was another was a couple other agents who then were also consequentially interested but the difference between Pontus and the others is especially in 2015 2016 Pontus had so many writers they had another like Congolese writer they also represent Fiston Mwanza and yeah. I was reading Fiston at the time and like they had other authors at the time like Chigozi who I was just like wait I'm reading these guys and they're incredible and you know and you know Pontus is an agency all about kind of authenticity and people bringing their own unique experiences and and so forth and you know this whole thing about diversity was such a late trend in the industry but for them they were like it's not diversity like they didn't call it diversity these are people like and cultures yeah. and I, that always felt more real for me and I remember saying I don't want to be in a room where I feel like I am a number a yeah. yeah a number like I'm just there to be there like and Pontus never made me feel that way and so when I wrote about something or whatever they were like look Whoever, who, whoever decides wants it like that's who we're gonna go with it's about story existence about it, it getting out there because like stories like this need to be known and then it just kind of like went from there you know so I think that how I've approached my how I've approached my own work is that well if I don't have if I don't connect with whether it's the publisher or whether it's you know the editor whatever it is the saying I'm not gonna go for it like mm. I'm do you know what I mean there's no for me my conscience is the most expensive thing on this planet I tell you I'd much rather I don't get enough sleep but I'd much rather like sleep comfortably at night than be paid whatever unscrupulous amount to have something ridiculous attached to my name yeah so, yeah I think that's just how I've always approached it I mean yeah because again where I think it's passion it's but it's also money and these things can be really hard to balance especially when you hear mm -hmm. You know, the advances some people are getting you're like oh okay that was a nice number um mm -hmm. or what we mean to work in xyz company versus the other and this is on the personal one you think uh -huh. mm -hmm. yeah because <laughs> i had a conversation yeah. with someone and they were like yeah but like you're always working you must be making money and i was like that's so nice of you yeah. to say but i'm not making yeah. money <laughs> but um i can sit in everything that's produced and say yeah you know what's that tiktok thing where it's the woman where people playing on that woman being like and people, they're like that's your man she's like yeah and i'm going back in exactly <laughs> exactly like, it's like just believe in what you do like yeah you know I mean? and this is the thing that's what i've always just kind of been like this whole idea of making it right especially when i think it was last summer when that hashtag publishing paid me went up yeah and then certain authors were like, well, yeah, I got a seven-figure advance for a book that, like, basically <laughs> barely even sold 1% of that. Yeah. Um, and then obviously there's certain things that we have to consider systemically about those opportunities and who's mm -hmm. getting them and so forth. But I think on an individual level, as an author, if that's what you become wrapped up by, then you lose your essence. Like, do you know what I mean? You lose what actually enriches 
your storytelling and gives it that uniqueness and also you lose i think this is a big part that people don't talk about is the longevity like there's a lot of authors who you know they get that seven that seven figure advance that massive advance and then what happens after that it's like the the one and done yeah one and done the one and done do you know what i mean or the one and barely two like and i was just like i think about it so much more in terms of like okay money aside because the way i see it is listen my parents yeah like worked all kinds of jobs and somehow managed to keep a roof over our heads and food on the table like without university education so like i'm able to have a stable job like i will not be homeless cool i live a very simple life i don't need much i actually don't need much like do you know what i mean so even when it comes to like oh the wealth of whatever i'm like for what there's stuff that when i had absolutely no money to spend i was like when i get a bit of money i'm gonna buy this i can't remember what it was that i wanted like i genuinely can't remember like do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. even throughout the lockdown stage i remember like oh yeah i'm gonna like just looking on sometimes i force myself to buy things just because i don't want to be yeah you're like, like you, you can't you can't not spend it like in a sense of like money is also meant to be spent not just saved yeah, like, yeah. Exactly. i don't want to be some extremist where it's just like no i will not spend anything that like you know just okay it's okay buy yourself some trousers like you like trousers do you know what i mean but all this like hyper materialism that you seem to be bombarded with i'm just not really i'm not invested in it like it doesn't excite me so give me simplicity and comfort and you know compassion and i'm happy like so i thought all right that's going to be my approach and what like the legacy of that we all remember the stories that touched us we none of us can none of us really remember the stories that told like that sold you know so i don't think yeah. conversations when you talk about your favorite books like do we stop and say oh yeah have you read this book it sold seven million copies though like you know people who really care about books talk about books that impacted them on an emotional level and the yeah. personal so i've always kind of wanted hopefully like want my book or my writing to be one of those yeah and yeah i think hopefully it is and you know again you're on what number four <laughs> Boy, I don't know, man. I, I lost count, but yeah, I, the more I write, the more I realize I'm coming closer to having written my last book. And so, yeah. Calm down, okay? You can. <laughs> let's not be silly. Let's let's all calm down. You can you can take a ten year break for something else to come through. So, um, Tony Morrison did it, and she gave us God God help the child. So, okay. I, again, no, because it, it comes no, it comes down to this system where people, you feel like you need to keep producing. Where it's like you don't. Yeah have to produce every five years you can take a 20-year break and if it's good when it comes out in 20 years it will be good um write your last one (laughs) again can we stop saying saying nonsense (laughs) i refuse to allow it okay i'll give i'll give give you a 10-year break and i'll I'll find your address and knock on the door and be like so um here's a new laptop Let's let's go. (laughs) And also, there's so many genres you haven't explored. The mid middle grade YA, you know, the children need books, JJ. They do. do. So don't worry. I will send you. If you don't have ideas, I will send you a list. Um, (laughs) Um, And you can be part of this romance chain of. of... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know what? Yeah, 
I'll stay. I'll stick around a bit longer if, if the possibility of that happens. Okay, it's fine. I'm working on it. I will I'll find some funding. I will scam someone into giving me money to do nonsense <laughs> literature uh, with fantastic nonsense. All right, then just to wrap up, I always wrap up on like expectations and just hopes and dreams. I feel like there's so many things I want to ask you, so my brain's sort of going to overload. But yeah. I know you. I mean, you've you've made this terrible comment about your last novel, but that's nonsense. Um, <laughs> so I think I'm going to ask you. So within sort of the creative space, and you are, you know, I think. For entrenched what would you like to see yourself do and I don't necessarily mean like a project I just mean in terms of when you look at how you want to exist within creative space what I guess mm. are your hopes and dreams and what can mm. we yeah expect from JJ in the next let's say three years because thinking so, too, much, too far ahead is painful I mean yeah will we still be here or will we be completely decimated by corona, corona party the pandemic and the continual degradation of our environmental structures who knows but I think for me in the terms of like the writing so I mean obviously to continue writing and telling stories and sharing stories is like an immense privilege but I think what I would or what I'm happily transitioning to is kind of, you know, some people walk into the room or some people climb up a ladder and then pull up the ladder behind them. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? And some people, or some people walk into the room and close the door. Like, mm -hmm. I I like to try to, I wouldn't even say break down the door because that's so uncharacteristic of uh, myself as like, an introvert like who's got to fix up the door is creating so much noise like all of this and so forth what i like to do is like you know get a, a copy of the key get it cut and then also pass it out like do you know what i mean and it'd be like now you can go in now you can go in. Do you know yeah. i really want to kind of take that almost like mentorship role because and you know i feel like i'm transitioning towards that with doing the emerging writers prize um yeah. the, the up with pontus and you know we've read all the submissions and we've got our stories we in fact we just completely we just like decided our shortlist <gasps> this week i'm so excited yeah and we're i think we're releasing the shortlist on monday the 19th of may so yeah and i'm so excited about like the authors uh, that are there and have submitted because i feel like for me i took every possible road to get here like do you know what mm -hmm. i mean so I think, you know what, if I can help other authors, other writers, other aspiring writers to avoid certain things, to lack out for certain things or whatever, then, like, why not? Like, you know what I mean? I've contributed to someone else. I really think that that's the direction that, like, I feel very confident or happy about going in, whether I'm writing for myself or not. Amazing. Thank you so much, JJ. It's been so great to speak to you and, uh, like, just hear more about i guess the personal day day i feel like obviously i got like 1.5 percent of the 20 but it's really great to speak to you and just as a close out just uh plug your coming book one more time and just share where people can find you online if you would like them to find you online yeah i would not like you to find me online so don't follow me no, I'm joking. <laughs> find him offline <laughs> so, find me offline if you're going to bring me cleaning supplies like Please. Yeah, my novel is coming out. It's called The Selfless Act of Breathing. I think it's available for pre-order already. Yes, it um, is. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, it's out in the autumn, I believe October. So we may be able to meet in public then, you know. Who knows? Wow. Um, a concept. Yeah. A book launch. Can you remember when was the last time you went to a book launch, like an in-person book launch? That might happen this year. It might be for me. But yeah, so that will yeah come out. Selfless Act of Breathing will come out 
later this year. I'm online on JJ underscore Bola or JJBola.com on like all the socials. And yeah, I'm usually just kind of like about, yeah. I'm about, I'm just in the streets. <laughs> yeah, it's, either, it's either me or another bearded black guy who, who looks like me. So there's several of us out there. So either say hello to me or confuse yourself and embarrass yourself with someone else. It's all good. I feel like any, everyone's just going to be happy for some physical interaction at some point. Um, <laughs> a hello. Or then, yeah, I can ramble on government sanctions hugs. Sanctioned hugs are here. I was like, I've been hugging too early, apparently, but hey, it is what it is. I missed hugs. It was actually quite nice to hug without fear. I was like, oh, wow, because there was a time <laughs> where like I'd get really anxious if someone tries to hug me, and I was like, what are you doing? But I think my body, uh, yeah, it's, it's mad how, like, you know, pre pandemic, we would, if we got introduced to someone, say you could introduce someone for the first time for a friend, you would hug as an Yeah. Oh, hi, hi, hug. What? Wild. Yeah. But there was a point, like, in the height of, like, last year where, like, even going to the food, do the food shop, I was just, my anxiety was crazy. And now I'm just like, we all have, if everyone has their mask on, let's just, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so nice to be on the other side of that. But hugging, I'm like, okay, this is, it's going to be different. <laughs> you want physical <laughs> contact. Um, <laughs> well, I didn't meet up with someone and I gave them a hug and I just like, oh, that was easy. And I thought, oh, this is nice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're becoming human again. <laughs> Oh, becoming human. Oh, mm-hmm. there's a piece of rain. All right, then. Um, yeah, thank you so much. It's been lovely chatting to you again. I'm thank Nikki. You, and I had JJ. Thank you so much for listening. And this has been Beyond All My Expectations. And see you next episode. Bye.